Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Let's start with the definition of collaboration. Working together for a common goal, collectively striving to achieve change. What does it mean to be part of a team? It's not a group of people who work in an office. It's not the number of people who sit around a table. It is people who work together to achieve a common goal. Our BACB Ethical Code Element 1.02 talks about the boundary of competence for behavior analysts and states that all behavior analysts will provide services, teach, and conduct research only within the boundaries of their competence. That's defined as being commensurate with our education, training, and supervised experience, meaning we aren't going to know everything about everything. Nobody does. No profession does. No profession should claim to. And therefore, we're going to need to work together with other people. Um, Our Ethical Code 2.03 on consultation states that when indicated and professionally appropriate, behavior analysts will cooperate with other professionals in a manner that's consistent with our philosophic assumptions and the principles of behavior analysis in ways that allow us to effectively and appropriately serve our clients. Now, some things that we should factor in that are going to impact collaboration um, that are really important for us to consider and all of which are absolutely out of our control are the following. Um, The age of the team members relative to one another. So am I delegating tasks to somebody who's older or younger than me? What's the level of training that each team member has? And what's the history and length that the team Uh, member has in their current position or with the company? What's the type of collaboration? Are we looking at this from a educational? Is this a medical or a legal sort of interaction? Again, most of that is stuff we cannot control. The problem with disagreements is that they delay treatment. And our ethical code um, element 2.05 states that the rights of the client are paramount and behavior analysts must support the client's legal rights and prerogatives. 2.15 goes on to talk about interrupting or discontinuing services and states that behavior analysts act in the best interest of the client and the supervisee to avoid any interruption or disruption of service. So again, we want to make sure that we are working through disagreements, that this is not leading to a delay in implementation of an effective intervention, even if it's not the one that I would have chosen, even if it's not the place I would have started at. The idea is, you know, how are we effective? How do we collaborate? How do we maintain the relationship with other team members so that we can be active, willing, invited participants of this discussion? Behavior analysts have the obligation to advocate for and educate the client about scientifically supported, most effective treatment procedures. So effective treatment procedures that have been validated as having both long-term and short-term benefits are the ones we should be advocating for. Some common barriers are the perceptions of the same reality. So I see the number six, you see the number nine, right? Um, We both see an event and experience an event the way that we're going to experience it. And there's that phrase, right? Or that saying that there's always three sides to every story, your side, my side, and the truth. Just meaning that our perceptions are going to alter the way that we recall the event. 
So we have different information sometimes about the same event and we can have different interpretations and our interpretations will come from those different life experiences. And that has shaped the lens in which we see people at our workplace and in our personal lives as well. Oftentimes people assume the intention of others. We feel like when we're in a difficult situation, we know what somebody else is doing. We know why they did that, you know, to us. There's often though not enough time to talk this out. So there's been research done that talks about the lack of administrative approval for time off and for planning and to have meetings together where you're coming together is cited as one of the most frequently um, noted barriers to collaboration. So how else can you make matters worse? It seems like a no-brainer, but refusing to listen, just shutting down, turning away, your body language is really important here. Make sure you're not speaking in tongues, if you will, that we're not speaking a completely foreign language. We want to make sure that we're being technically precise as professionals, as behavior analysts, as behavior technicians, you know, as your ABA provider, but we also need to be relatable. We need to be understood and we need to be having a conversation. So again, we have ethical obligations. 1.05 professional and scientific relationships talk about us using language that's fully understandable to the recipient of our services while also remaining conceptually systematic and true to the science of behavior analysis. And that goes on um, and is further elaborated into our ethical code element 3.04 where we are required to explain our assessment results using language and visual displays that are reasonably understandable to the client and other recipients of the team. When we assume that another person has nothing to contribute, that we are the ones with all the information or we are the ones with the questions and and you know we want to lead the discovery or the adventure, we also kind of become our own barrier when we assume that another person has nothing to contribute. And when we have colleagues weigh in and take an opinion, even if we're not trying to get them to choose sides, we can sometimes strengthen a narrative that really only exists in in our, you know, internal covert verbal behavior in our heads, right? Our thoughts to ourselves. So we might say like, you know, she said this about me because, and somebody else might say, that's horrible. I can't believe that. Um, Even if that's not exactly what happened, if it's how you perceived it, you're going to recall it and relive it in a way that's different than if that other person had sort of lived it with you. So having colleagues weigh in and take sides is another way which we can make things worse, even though we don't mean to. So some steps for solving disputes is to accept that conflicts is, uh, you know, are a vital part of doing business. We want to be in places, we want to be around people who are responsive to us challenging the status quo, right? That should be welcomed if we are pushing the boundaries, if we are doing things that are getting people to be innovative. Now, we don't want to do it in a way that's so abrasive or agitating others, you know, or too aggressive, but we also don't want to back away from broaching important information just because it goes against the group. You know, when there's more than one treatment option, we have an ethical obligation as stated in Ethical Code Element 2.09 to select uh, interventions um, that have been established when there is more than one that is evidence-based. Then we want to consider the efficiency, the cost-effectiveness, the risk, the side effects, 
the client preference, so the social significance, and the practitioner experience and training that's required. So that speaks to the treatment intervention and efficacy. It's really important but very difficult to keep the emotion out of the discussion and to resist assigning blame. You really want to focus on the facts and listen as objectively as possible. Um, If you can embrace the mutual purpose and say that we're here for the same reason and truly believe it, that can get you pretty far. Using language that allows you to make your point without putting others on the defensive is a great way to take what we know about verbal behavior and to use it in a way to soften anything that might feel very um, hard to hear or might feel very heavy when it's um, wielded um, outwardly. So to say things like, I hear what you're saying and I'd like you to consider, or I don't completely understand, can you help me? If you agree with part of someone's argument, you can say things like, I agree with you on this, uh, and I think we should research a few other alternatives to this idea. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. You want to focus on being authentic and asking open-ended questions, paraphrasing what you think you hear to make sure that it is what is being said, and try to acknowledge a person's feelings or validate what's happening. So it doesn't mean... You say to them, that's right, you're right, I'm always late, I'm wrong, you're the best. (laughs) Especially if that's not how you feel. But you can say things like, it must be really frustrating to feel like you're constantly waiting on somebody. Because I can validate that part, I can relate to that part. Always avoid saying never and always because it's... It's a way to throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. Using I statements allow you to say how you're feeling, and it comes from a place of your perception and a recognition of that. So um, it's really important to start with I versus you statements. You statements can sound very accusatory and blaming. It's really important to focus on the outcome. You know, where are you trying to get? Um, how are we going to get there? Is your path the right path? Are you open to new ideas? Stay open to new ideas and have a healthy dose of philosophic doubt. Know when to stop. As part of a team, your role is to present your facts and that you feel need to be considered. But once a team has made a choice, let the matter drop. Turn your energy to supporting the group. Let's make sure there's fidelity with the implementation of the intervention. Back up whatever direction is selected and do your best to help the team accomplish a successful result. If you feel something's unethical, if you feel like there are other concerns, make known your concerns in writing. Follow up with your supervisor. Continue to have that dialogue. Maintain your professionalism and that will earn the respect of those around you and will let you be seen as someone whose ideas are worth listening to. So some great things to do are to check in with yourself before you have these conversations. Ask yourself what assumptions you might be making and how might they be perceiving the same situation differently. Um, Label your emotions. Be real with yourself and let you know, you know, kind of let yourself know what this is stirring up for you. And ask yourself, is this worthy of a discussion? Because sometimes the conversations are awkward, but they're necessary. And other times they may not be necessary. Listen with empathy and try to understand other people and then try to have them understand you. Sharing your point of view can really help you feel like you've had an opportunity to be understood 
Um, but once you guys move forward, you know, or make that plan for moving forward, you want to talk about the future and what can be done differently so you don't end up in the same place. Offer what your plan is moving forward and ask others if they have ideas. And if you have an idea, suggest it. Practice patience and admit your mistakes. That's with any skill, this is going to take a lot of practice. Try to be patient with others, but also yourself. No one is perfect, and we should all admit our mistakes and invite others to do the same. In the words of B.F. Skinner, a failure is not always a mistake. It may simply be the best one can do under the circumstances. The real mistake is to stop trying. To learn more about this topic and all things related to ABA, visit www.behaviorbabe.com.